family. It's a real privilege to, to come up and be before you this morning. Uh, my name is Shane Rosti. I'm the student ministries pastor here at the church, and I have the extreme privilege of working with our junior high students, our high school students, and our college students. And uh, it, it, I mean it when I say it is my absolute privilege to do that for our church. Um, this morning, my task or my job is uh, to make Chad look good. So if you leave here today saying, I am so grateful that Chad is our Sunday preacher, then my job has been accomplished. <laughs> so I've learned so much about God uh, by becoming a parent. Uh, where are my parents out, out there? Can I get an amen? Because oftentimes... I think about all of the lessons, the very humbling lessons I've learned about God through being a parent, right? So often I, I get ready to correct my kids, and uh, as I begin to correct them and I hear myself speaking to them, I realize, as some of you maybe have seen this or, or have this, is that I, it's, I, they're guilty of the same thing that I'm guilty of before God. I end up treating God the same way that my kids are treating me, and so as I seek to correct them, it's almost like I'm correcting myself before God. Anybody been put into that humble position? It's kind of humbling, isn't it? Well, I think about, uh, you know, that got me thinking, what, what if my kids treated me the same way I treated God when it came to things that he asks us to do? What if, for example, I, I asked my son and my daughter, go downstairs and clean your room. Anybody been there? Okay, go downstairs and clean your room, and I'm going to give you 20 minutes, and Dad's going to come down, and we're going to take a look at and see the progress that you've made. And in 20 minutes, I walk downstairs, and lo and behold, I find my, my son and my daughter standing there at their doors, and they're like, Dad, hey! And I'm like, hey, did you clean your room? And they respond, well, Dad, we formed a committee. And we've been talking about this cleaning the room business. We decided, we came up with a six-week schedule, a six-week study about cleaning your room and what it's supposed to look like. Dad, we've even come up with a systematic theology of cleaning your room. And we've agreed that cleaning your room is a good thing. Did you guys clean your room? Well, no. You see what I'm saying? We do this to God all the time, don't we? We do it to him all the time. We have, after the crucifixion and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, one of the most important uh, edifications, challenges, commands that he gives us is something we call the Great Commission. It is the core of what we exist at. It's what we are supposed to do as the church. It's our core mission. It's the last final words that he gave us before he ascended into heaven, before the, the, at the right hand of God. So let's go ahead and read one of the most important passages to the church in all of Scripture. It's called the Great Commission. It's in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Would you follow along with me? We're going to be looking at the Great Commission this morning. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. 
And when they saw him, they worshipped. But some doubted. Still, this is after the resurrection. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, and surely, I love the song that we, were, we sang earlier. He's with us in the fire. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Oh, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we just come before you this morning and we just want to first confess to you, Lord, that we haven't done well as a church at making disciples. We have a lot of room to grow and to learn and to follow in your example. And so, Lord, we pray for your grace this morning. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to see the importance of making disciples? Would you help us to submit to you in this command and to, to really put forth an effort? Because, God, you are holy, you are indescribable, and you are worth listening to and obeying. Lord, we pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen. So, there's been much discussion much discussion over this idea of making disciples, over this idea of making disciples. And when I ask, if you've ever gone around and asked people, you, I, I, I get like three or four or five or ten different ideas about what it means to make disciples. And it seems like we're all on different pages. And to me, as I think about where, man, where is the best example for us to look at what making disciples is, if this is a command of Jesus Christ, what does it specifically look like to make disciples? And I think Jesus modeled what he told us to do, didn't he? He showed us. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as an example about what it means to make disciples. And so I want, I want to think about uh, one of the ways that the, the phrases that have gotten this stuck in my head is uh, this phrase, discipleship is a significant investment in a specific few, and I got that from J.D. Greer, a, a significant investment in a specific few. And I would only add to that that the highest priority of that investment, the highest priority of that investment is another's relationship with Jesus, right? We don't just invest in people to invest in people, but our highest priority in investing in people is their walk with Jesus. Amen? And I looked at some of those uh, scholarly sayings about what it means to make disciples. And I thought this was interesting, uh, referring to the words making disciples. These words also refer not only to the transfer of information, but also to the transformation of one's lifestyle in order to be more like one's teacher. So when Jesus uses the very word disciple, the understanding in the culture was that it wasn't just a transfer of information, that you wouldn't just sit and receive information or get smarter, but that you would be transformed by discipleship and making disciples. So, brothers and sisters, we are clearly commanded by Christ to make disciples. And I want, to hear, I want you to hear my heart in this. 
as I was putting this, this sermon together, I thought, well, man, what are some benefits that we get from making disciples? I want to convince everybody to make disciples because it will benefit them. Let, let's go through a list of benefits uh, on, on how it's going, to, it's going to improve their life and it's going to make them feel better about themselves. And as I did that, man, God just leveled me and said, Shane, there are benefits to discipleship for sure. But the reason that we disciple is not because it benefits us. It's not because we get something out of it. It's because obedience to Christ is a follower's highest task and greatest joy. And so when he tells us something, our response ought not be, Jesus, what's in it for me? It should be, yes, Lord, thank you for letting me be a part of what you're doing. That's the servanthood of Christ. That's the mentality. But see, many of us come to the church today as consumers, don't we? And we ask the question, what's in it for me? Is the music what I want it to be? Are the seats comfortable? Does it make me feel good about myself? Is it going to give me some tools to live a better life? I'm here to tell you that that's not discipleship. That's consumerism, and that's what's plagued the church of today, and it's why we're on the decline. We're not making disciples, we're making consumers, and we're being consumers. We're treating churches, we're treating God's church that he died for as another hamburger stand that gives us the condiments that we enjoy or the entree that we want. And when we stop liking it or get tired of it, we just move on to the next to the next fast food restaurant or the next church, don't we? Man, that's not discipleship, that's consumerism. We can't be asking, as long as it benefits me, I'll do what you want, Lord. That flies in the face of what we know about lordship. So if you're, some of us often say, well, we feel distant. We go every Sunday, we've gone to every Bible study, and we still feel distant from God. You feel distant from God, so you study more, but you do nothing with it. And so you just feel like you're tapped out. You've learned all you can, and there's nothing more for you in Christianity. And I've talked to so many people like this. I think of Hebrews 5, when it tells us this. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk and not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Good from evil. We often talk, and, and I, use, I use the phrase uh, that there's kind of this idea that we want to receive more and more information, but it's not benefiting us and we're not utilizing it. So why would God continue to give us deeper insight into himself? Uh, as, a, as a student ministries pastor, I explain it to my students like this. Uh, it's like Christian constipation. You're just backed up. You've got all the information in the world. You've got access to God's word in so many different translations. You've got, it in, you've got it on your phones. Like no other generation beforehand, we've got access to God's word. We could study it. 
but yet we're on the decline? It's because we're not doing anything with what God has given us. And here, then, we stand before this great commission that Jesus gives us, and he says, go, therefore, into all the world. Right, So let's take a look at that. We want Jesus to be the definer of what it means to make disciples. And so we want to look at his life. And first, number one, what you're going to see is that Jesus modeled discipleship for us. And so we need to dive into the life of Jesus and see how he defined making disciples. Not how we define making disciples. How does Jesus define making disciples? It starts with looking at Jesus. See, he modeled it, so we got to behold Christ. We got to be looking at him. See, the greatest gift, he starts the greatest commission with what? All authority has been granted to who? To me. So who's the great commission about? It's about Jesus. It's based on his authority. It's based on his life. It's based on his victory over, over death. So we got to be looking at Jesus first. He modeled it for us. What did he model? He didn't model wealth or, or provi- provision or, or comfort. And then we got to, so as we behold Christ, we need, to, uh, we need to turn around and be modeling the things that we see in him. Right? It's kind of like this monkey see, monkey do kind of thing, really. Uh, but we look to Christ and we just, we want to pursue him. We want to be so focused on him that we become like him. You ever noticed high school students, by the way? I was driving by a, a, a group of high school students. There's this trait. You can tell which groups hang out with each other. You know how? They all look like each other, don't they? A lot of times they're wearing the same type of shirts. They have the same haircuts. Right? You ever notice that? Because they're becoming like the things that they're looking at. They're becoming like the people that they value highly in their life, their friends. And so they end up all looking like each other. Man, that's supposed to be what Christianity is. We're supposed to be so focused on Christ that we can't help but accidentally look like him more and more. That's why he says, all authority has been given to me. That's a command uh, coming, out of, uh, coming out of a position of authority. By the way, what is the requirement of making disciples? What do you think the requirement is? You guys ever thought about this? The only requirement of making disciples is to be a disciple. Is to be a disciple. That's it. You just got to believe, trust, and know Jesus and be looking at him. And you are qualified to make disciples. By the way... And you think about the disciples um, themselves. Let's, let's think about um, all of the 12 disciples. You ever asked yourself how old they were? This is an interesting part. How many of you get the picture of like Peter as this old, gray, like long beard? No? I think that's what he's always portrayed in in the movies to me. But you think about the disciples, there's some indicators in Scripture, like the temple tax uh, that only Peter and Jesus had to pay for that would indicate that Peter, when he joined or was in, uh, in ministry with Jesus, he was the only one of the disciples over the age of 18. The youngest disciple, get this, was John, right? And John was probably, how old do you think he was? Between the ages of 12 to 15. Why do I love youth ministry? Because Jesus was a youth pastor. 
You don't have to be old. You don't have to be experienced. You have to love Jesus and be focused on him. Quit waiting for this bar that you're going to pass of maturity in order to start making disciples. A lot of us let education stop us from modeling uh, our own discipleship or modeling discipleship to others. Because we like, man, we don't want people to, to see our, um, to follow us or to extenuate our, our mishaps or our failures or our mistakes. But I think about uh, one of the passages I always think about is the demoniac across the, the uh, Sea of Galilee, right? So Jesus casts out the demons in this guy. And do you know what history tells us happened? He went on. He had like a day with Jesus, sat at the feet of Jesus for a day. And he goes on and he affects thousands of people. And we can trace uh, that whole region coming to Christ because of the ministry or the witness of that one demon-possessed man that Jesus freed on the other side because then Jesus went back over and started discipling, right? That was the one guy across the lake that Jesus discipled. He had one day with Jesus, and he went, and what did he do? He started making disciples. I hope this is, this is encouraging some of you. Stop waiting for some level of Christian maturity before you start making disciples. Uh, to know Jesus, you must be looking at him. Scripture is the best and the most accurate and legitimate way to look at Christ. It's how we know who he is and what he did. So we need to be beholding scriptures, be looking and reading, read the gospels often, be pondering. How can you look at Jesus and, and become like what you're beholding? We make disciples of Jesus and not of ourselves. This is an important part. And here's a relief to some of us. You don't have to make people like you. I mean that both they don't have to like you and they don't have to be like you because your goal is not to make little yous. Your goal is to make followers of Jesus Christ, Amen. right? And so you're not saying, look at me. You're saying, look at him, look at him, look at him. It takes the pressure off, doesn't it? We make disciples of Jesus and not ourselves. <laughs> And it's modeled as much as taught. Man, you, uh, many of you parents will know that uh, our kids have a tendency to do what they see us do, right? This is a principle. All, discipleship is happening in our society all over the place. First, we see that it's modeled by Jesus. Jesus is the only requirement for discipleship. And it's modeled as much as it is taught. Brothers and sisters, I want you to hear, you can sit in good teaching day in and day out, and you can miss what God has for you. You can sit, we have access to the best, the worldwide best Bible teachers there probably ever been. But you can sit in there all day if you don't practice the things that, that are taught, and you don't model them for the generations behind you, and you don't let them see you with your open Bibles on your desk. If they never see you reading scripture or evangelizing, we're going to get that into that in a moment, then they're not going to know, they're not going to be able to follow in your footsteps and be disciples, and you're not going to be discipling if, if uh, we're not modeling what we see in Jesus Christ. And this is, you get uh, Paul saying this in Philippians 4, 9, whatever you have learned and received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is a, a very scriptural practice. 
keeping our eyes on Christ, and then practicing what we, what we see. I had a good friend that told me uh, a while ago that he wanted his kids to go to church, and he wanted his kids to know God, but he wasn't really interested. How do you think that went over with his kids? See, we communicate to the younger generations and the disciples around us what's important based on our words. No, based on what is important to us. Kids and students and our disciples see right through. We can say Jesus is important to us all day, but if we spend more time, energy, and focus on all the many pursuits of the world, they know what's important to us. Uh, parents and, and, and adults in, in students' lives, what do they ask their kids about the most? When I ask kids, what do, what do adults ask you about the most? Well, you know, the top answer is, how is school and how are your grades? So what does that communicate to the younger generations what is most important to us? Their achievement. Their achievement. Not the relationship with Jesus. What if instead of asking, how are your grades, we asked, how are you doing with Jesus? That's discipleship. That's discipleship. So the next part of the Great Commission that I'd like to focus on then, so all authority, is therefore go. And you see this right here, this, this therefore go. And we know then that discipleship is on purpose. It happens on purpose. We don't accidentally make disciples, but Jesus' commission to the disciples was to go, to see it happen, to do it on purpose. And again, I go back to that term. It's a significant investment in a specific few. How much time do you think Jesus spent with his disciples? As best as we can tell, probably 16 hours a day for up to three years. That's between, so that's around 15,600 hours in a, two, in a two to three year process. So making disciples, if we're going to obey Jesus, what does that mean? It means we need to be spending time with, with people. Significant portions of time. And I think it's, it's interesting that most of us would view discipleship as one or two hours on a Sunday. That's not how Jesus defined it. Where is most of your time spent? Maybe you're like, well, Shane, I can't be a youth pastor. Well, where do you spend your time? I think most of us would say, I spend most of my time at work. Most of my time at work. Where do you think your discipleship should be happening? At work. That's where you are. That's the cool thing. Jesus spent time with his disciples day in and day out. Who are the people around you in your sphere? You should be discipling uh, people at your work. Where, uh, so where is most of your time spent? And how much, uh, so <laughs> I think about over the last 11 years I've been doing college ministry, I don't even want to talk to you about how much food I have spent, how much money I've spent on food for college students. How many hours I've sat at fast food restaurants. Because it's just time. It's time with students. It's time with my disciples. It's time investing in people and in their relationship with Jesus. That's our task. It happens on purpose. It doesn't happen by accident. You've got to be the one who calls others 
and makes disciples of them. And it's scripture-centered. So it happens on purpose. That means it's systematic and consistent. It's important for us to do things on purpose. I think about this guy. How often <laughs> do you think he could nail that one again? <laughs> it's a significant investment. And it's centered on God's word. I think about passages uh, like in Timothy that uh, say that God, the scriptures are, are good for correction and teaching and reproof. And it's goal-oriented. Jesus very clearly had goals set for his disciples, didn't he? I mean, he had a goal for Peter. Why did he restore Peter at the end? You guys remember when Chad was talking about that? He had a goal for Peter to step into a position of leadership in the church. Hebrews 5, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers. You hear this purpose in that. It's goal-oriented, and in this Hebrews 5, uh, you see a couple of markers of, of uh, maturity in Christianity. And by the way, it's not having a, a, a degree in theology. It's making other disciples. What is a measure of maturity as a Christian? Well, not all of us are going to be the pastors and the scholars, right? So there has to be a way to maturity that's beyond just doing uh, a full-time ministry position. You know what it is? It's disciples who make disciples. The marker of maturity in Christianity is a disciple who makes other disciples. How are you doing? Many of us could sit on a Sunday service for years and never make other disciples. If our marker for maturity in Christ is making other disciples, according to Hebrews 5, it's this also creating deeper knowledge. It's also training in godliness. And it's God honoring. These are markers in Hebrews 5. And by the way, as you look at, uh, as you look at the Great Commission, I want to just highlight one thing that it says here. It says disciples of all what? Nations. All nations. And we know Scripture, the resounding cry of Scripture is that God's church is to be a diverse church. We're not just supposed to go to church with people who are exactly like us. And what has become a problem is we all find our own perfect little flavor that meets all of our wants and desires, and we only ever mix with people like that. That's not God's desire for his church. But here's the thing. It's going to require a high degree of intentionality, amen, to be around people who are not like us. We don't do that normally or naturally, do we? Look at the ragtag group of people that Jesus brought together. Fishermen and lawyers, and, and you've got man, you can just imagine the conversations that they were having and the debates that they had. It was a ragtag group of people that were not always like each other. That means we need to sit down at our dinner tables with people who don't have the same political ideas as we do, who don't have the same worldview as we do, because that's making disciples of all the nations and all the tribes and all the tongues and all the parties. Sorry, that last one wasn't in there. <clears throat> and the, uh, the third point here, so let me jump ahead. The third point. So discipleship is humiliating. So it's modeled, it happens on purpose, and it's humiliating. I almost used the word humbling, but the word humiliating, as we look at the life of Christ, he was humiliated, wasn't he? He went from God on high to the, the man crucified on the cross. 
whole purpose of the cross, is, is, uh, as Chad explained, was to say uh, that it was, it was a mark of shame. It was to say, don't do what this guy did because he was clearly wrong against Rome. Right? And so he was humiliated. His discipleship led him to humiliation. Man, there's a lot of us that need to walk in the humiliation of discipling because we've got too high of a view of ourselves. So it's humiliating. Let's talk about the kind of humiliation that we're talking about. I had a, a volunteer. Where's my volunteer? Uh, Titus, where are you? There it is. Titus, come on up real quick. Don't worry, I, I prepared him for this. Um, so many of us like to think of discipleship as needing to climb up onto this high pillar of Christianity where we are smart and we know the Bible, we've read the whole Bible, we know systematic theology, and until then we can't make disciples. Well, for us, that keeps many of us from making disciples. Why? Because we have to step up onto the platform of being able to be a disciple maker. But we've already talked about the only requirement of disciple making is what? Faith in Jesus, right? So many of us are like, okay, well, I have to pull people up to rightness with God. But that's not what Jesus modeled, is it? What did Jesus model? He came down to us. He came down to us. And he got what? Humiliated, right? And then what did he do? He got on his knees and he washed his disciples' feet and he helped them step up to rightness with God. He let them step on him. And he got dirty so that he could elevate us to relationship with Christ. Thank you, Titus, for as we give Titus a. But this is the kind of humiliation that discipleship calls for. It's gritty, sometimes unrewarding. It costs you. Sometimes it's going to cost you resources. Jesus got in trouble because of his disciples slash youth. Remember when they were picking grains um, and he got in trouble because of his disciples? They were being a youth and uh, he, that reflected poorly on him. You think about he invested in 12 people. Did he have 100% success rate? Our Lord didn't have 100% success rate. He still had uh, a bad egg in the group, Judas, right? So when we invest in people, we expect that it's going to, man, it's going to, it's going to hurt sometimes, and there's going to be failures. Some of our investments are going to be, uh, are going to fail. They're going to be flaky. They're going to mess up. And we, but we don't give up on them, like Jesus didn't give up on Peter, unless they, uh, of course, betray you to death. Judas, right? But we have from Jesus this example of discipleship that, that was also washing feet. I think of John 13, when he had finished washing their feet. By the way, he washed Judas's feet. He put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, am your Lord, now that I your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, what does he tell the disciples to do? You also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is his messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I don't think we can do this by doing regular church. It means we have to get down with people and and weep with people and rejoice over their victories 
and, and, and be willing to be humbled enough to step down with them into life. Uh, I, I also think of uh, the new covenant, right, in Jeremiah. This is, the, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. So this is the covenant of, of the gospel of grace. This is what Jesus ushered in. He says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor. Well, that's interesting. Or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. If you want to do discipleship, it's not a position of prestige. It's not impressive. It's gritty and it's hard and it means elevating other people. I hope you guys uh, know that like when a pastor stands up, when Chad and I stand up here, um, that's, that's not the, necessarily the full picture of discipleship. It's a part of it. Teaching is a part of it. But the more important discipleship happens relationally with you, brothers and sisters, members of our church. It happens with you. Have you ever noticed in Paul's life, he tried so hard to get to Rome, didn't he? And do you know who he was greeted, for, greeted by when he got to Rome? Believers. Believers greeted him in Rome. You know how they got there? It's like the book of Acts goes out of its way to say that it wasn't the apostles. It wasn't the big pastors and teachers. It was the regular people that made disciples that caused the Roman church to come into existence. That's you. That's not me. By the way, Ephesians says, right, my job as a pastor and Chad's job as a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, not to do it for them. Not to push them out of the way because I'm a professional minister. It's to equip you to do the actual important work of discipleship. That's my job. That's Chad's job. That's a pastor's job. <clears throat> and, and I want to leave you with this. We know from this passage and from scripture that it starts, discipleship starts before salvation. Were the disciples saved at the very beginning when they started to follow Jesus? They were not. Many doubted. Did you hear that? They were not. Many didn't come to faith in Christ until after his resurrection and after his ascension. So discipleship starts before salvation. Evangelism is included in making disciples. What does that require of us as disciplers? We're going to obey Christ. It means we have to be able to explain and articulate the gospel. This breaks my heart like no other truth about our church. When I ask people, how do you become a Christian? They stumble over the answer. And we call, Becky and I call this gospel fluency. If somebody came to you today and said, hey, how do I become a Christian? Could you give them an answer? If you can't, man, that's like step number one. You've got to know how you came to Christ. If you can't articulate the good news, then how can we be disciple makers? So can you articulate how to be saved in a clear and understandable way? All are called to evangelism, not a select few or a gifted small group. Um, I, a lot of, it, uh, one of the things that just sometimes, I say this breaks my heart a lot, is people tell me, oh, Shane, you're gifted in evangelism because you're passionate about it. 
I'm terrible at evangelism. Have you ever watched me share the gospel? I stumble over my words. I'm nervous. I sweat. I'm terrible. But you know why I'm passionate about the gospel? Because Jesus is my Lord. You don't have to be good at things. It's like when I ask my kids, go take out the trash. Sorry, Dad, I'm not gifted in taking out the trash. <laughs> but that's what we tell God all the time, isn't it? Like, I'm not gifted. I'm not good at that. Being a Christian means doing things you're not good at. But he is sovereign. And he blesses you in your weakness. And he comes behind you. If you're not a good people person, if you're an introvert, I've got good news for you. The power of Christ can elevate you to do things that you never thought you could do. And you'll be blessed by that. And you'll experience God in a whole new level. If you just give him that in courage and step outside of your box. So um, really quickly here, and I'm just running uh, out of time, is uh, death so I like this timeline of events when we, discipling is uh, a process that occurs um, over this whole thing. I would call this discipleship. So this is all discipleship right here from death to life. Um, salvation is in that line of, of, of discipleship, but this is also discipling right here. When people are not curious about the gospel. Do you advocate for their relationship with Jesus anyway? That's discipleship. That's evangelism. When they start to become curious and you answer questions, or maybe you don't know the answer to their questions about Christianity, but you're like, hey, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. That's okay to say, by the way. I don't know, but I'm going to find out. So this is all discipleship right here. Excuse me. And this is continuing discipleship. The goal, the goal of discipleship is what? I heard it. For them to make disciples. Don't stop discipling people until they go and make disciples. Like, oh man, I've now educated you. And you have now knowledge of the whole Bible. You're done. It's like, no man. My question for my, my people is, who are you investing in? Who are your disciples? Who are the people around you that you're advocating for the relationship with God? That is discipleship. Just a couple more. Uh, so curious, believer, disciple, disciple maker. Guys, all of this, I'm gonna, there's a packet in the back. I, I don't have necessarily time to go through all of these things, but evangelism is discipling. We need to be gospelly fluent. So if some, again, if somebody came to you and said, how do I become a Christian? You need to know how to answer that question. And all Christians are to gospelize. There's no select few. Because some of you, I'm going to preach this message, right? And there's a small group of you that are like, oh man, I need to try harder. I need to do more. I'm already taxed and exhausted. I need to disciple more people. This message isn't for you. You're already doing that. It's for the people that have been sitting in Bible study after Bible study and Sunday after Sunday. And they're like, I'm just tired of church because it's, I've gotten everything I could possibly receive. You are the folks that I want to plead with you. Walk in obedience to Christ. Start simple. Invest in somebody's relationship with Jesus. That's what the Great Commission tells us. Brothers and sisters, we either don't believe what Jesus taught 
or don't care about people facing the wrath of God when it comes to sharing the gospel. I'm teaching through Revelation in youth ministry, and I'm teaching through Revelation in our college ministry, and it's heavy stuff, but it's real. And sometimes I read that and I go, how can we do normal church? How can we do regular church and read this? Do we believe it? We either believe it or we just don't care about what people are going to face when it comes to the wrath of God. We were there. Paul said, you used to be children of wrath. We were there, but God offered us grace. Why would we not carry that good news? Either we don't believe it or we don't care. Those are really the only two options. And then Jesus leaves with this encouragement. He is with us in this endeavor. If you're like, I feel distant from God, maybe it's because you're not discipling. His special presence is felt in the process of discipleship. Do you feel distant from God? Start making disciples. So what? Make disciples. I hope I'm a broken record. My students tell me that I am. Get started now. Will it be hard? Yes. Don't be surprised. And don't give up. And I want to give you this challenge then as we go from here, this today, is would you go from here with this challenge of making disciples? There's a packet at the welcome desk. Becky and I have spent 11 years trying to make this extremely accessible and simple for every person, whether you're introverted or extroverted. It's a command for all of us. Uh, that packet is in the back. My challenge to you is to go and to make disciples, to pick one person, to start investing in their relationship with Jesus today, because that's the great commission. I dare you. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here, and I thank you uh, that they bared with me uh, God, for just uh, an area that we have neglected in your church, Lord. And I just pray, would you empower those here that, that didn't feel qualified, Lord? I pray that they would now feel qualified. And if there's some here, uh, Lord, that haven't given their life to Christ, I pray that the disciplers around them would meet them and begin to show them the gospel of grace that Jesus offered us on the cross. Lord, help us to be people who believe and care. Oh, I pray that for our church and our faith family. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Thank you, church. You're dismissed.